You are listening to the podcast of New Life Church in Wayland, Michigan. Our longing is to see zero people in our community living unchanged by Jesus. We are a church navigating the messiness of life together in community. One of our core convictions is that everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. I hope you know there is a place in the family for you here. For more information on gathering times and location, check out our website. But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through this word. Well, good afternoon. There's about a 95% chance I would have said good morning, as though to not already said it. So more importantly than that, Merry Christmas to all of you, man. I am so glad you are here uh, with us this afternoon. My name is Brad. I get to serve as the lead pastor here at New Life. And man, we are just so ecstatic that you are here with us this afternoon. It was about Christmas time 11 years ago when I started shopping for a very, very important gift, possibly one of the most important gifts that I would ever give in my entire life. And so I began in snowy December days going from jewelry store to jewelry store looking for an engagement ring for my now wife of almost 10 years, Sam, who was in the green dress up here, if you don't know Sam. Everybody loves Sam. She's my way, 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 way better half, and we all know it. Amen. Yes. And so I go from jewelry store to jewelry store, and maybe you've had this experience before in your life, going from men in the room, (laughs) women probably haven't, I don't know, maybe, Um, and going from jewelry store to jewelry store, looking and trying to find the most perfect engagement ring. And so what they do when you go into a jewelry store is they don't just, you know, take it out of the case and and hand it to you, or at least they didn't for me. Maybe I look shady, like I was going to run away with it or something. But instead of just handing it to you, what they do at the jewelry store is they actually take out, whether it's like a black piece of velvet cloth that they roll out, or like a black folder or booklet that they can lay out on top of the glass, and they show you the diamond ring against the black fabric. Why do they do it like this? Because the diamond shines brightest against the black cloth, doesn't it? The diamond shines brightest against the black cloth. It allows the light to hit it in the most perfect way so that it's brilliant, and you end up spending way, way more money than you intended to spend. (laughs) (laughs) And the truth is, the truth is the light always shines brightest against the darkness. The light always shines brightest against the darkness. And I I actually think Christmas time is, is kind of a weird time of the year. Because on one hand, you have this whole cultural celebration of light and joy and glad tidings and good news and generosity and all of these different things. You probably even have a wine mom sign hanging in your house somewhere that looks something like this. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Any wine moms out there, be honest. My wife's one, so there you go. At least we got one honest person here. Or maybe, just kidding, maybe you're more like a dad who's a Clark Griswold, any Clark Griswolds in here at all, like, nobody's leaving this fun, old-fashioned family Christmas through gritted teeth, right? It's this time of year where they're like, there's all of this manufactured joy and happiness, and what we do is we actually, we find ourselves kind of almost brushing aside the darkness of the world for one month, and we cover it with things like Hallmark movies and mistletoe and peppermint mochas, 
only to walk into the new year bloated and hungover and in debt, right? See, this time of year is such a weird time of the year because on one hand, it's a celebration of joy, but, but for many of us, and, and you might be in this boat, Christmas has a weird kind of tendency to just drag some stuff up, doesn't it? Like just to kind of bring some of that lingering darkness to the surface. Christmas is that time of year that can remind us of some of the darkness in our lives. Like, like a brilliant light against the darkness, Christmas has a way of dragging that stuff up. For some of us in this room, this is a first Christmas. A first Christmas unemployed. Or a first Christmas after the divorce papers have been signed. Or a first Christmas with, a, with an empty seat at the dinner table tomorrow. For others of us, this is just another Christmas. Another Christmas of chemo treatments. Another Christmas of family just junk. Another Christmas of one line on a pregnancy test. And yet for others of us, this is a last Christmas. Maybe for you, it's a last Christmas with kids living at home or a last Christmas with your parents around. You see, the reality is, yeah, we, we have this huge celebration of joy, but at best, all that does is it kind of brushes aside the darkness, says, let's ignore it, let's deal with it when the new year comes, and let's just kind of pretend everything's good. And what I can appreciate about the Christian celebration of Christmas, maybe you're here and you're not a Christian, you don't know Jesus. What I can appreciate, and hopefully you can, is at least the Christian celebration of Christmas is more honest. Like at least the Jesus celebration of Christmas is a little more honest. Because what the Jesus celebration of Christmas acknowledges is that it is very dark out in this world. There's a whole lot of darkness. There is pervasive darkness that maybe you feel inside of you. And what the Christian, the Jesus celebration of Christmas is, is it's saying God sees that darkness and he doesn't just choose to kind of, I don't know, approach it like our culture. He doesn't just kind of brush it aside or give us kind of a way to figure it out ourselves. He doesn't just kind of mask the darkness or cover it over and put a nice bow on top of it. He doesn't even focus so much on whose fault it is that it's so dark. His method when it comes to the darkness, has always been to walk into it, to enter it. See, God's not interested in just making your December 25th a little bit more cheery, a little bit brighter. He is actually interested in redeeming all of your life, every piece of it, every piece of darkness, every piece of failure, every piece of letdown, every piece of disappointment, because light shines brightest against the darkness. Amen. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're thinking to yourself, that is great. But what about my darkness? What about the stuff I'm going through that nobody else knows, nobody else sees? Can your God do something about that darkness? That's what I want to answer today. That's what I want to talk through today because I believe and I know with everything that I am that he can do something about that. And so we're going to be looking today at one of the kind of accounts of Jesus' life through the Gospel of John. And there's four different stories of Jesus' life in the Scripture. We call them the Gospels, and each writer took kind of a different angle for the audience they were writing to. And so what I want to do is look at how John speaks about Jesus as light in the darkness. So John chapter 1, verses 9 through 11 says this, The true light, speaking about Jesus, 
which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. And so what the text says here is that Jesus came into the world as the light of the world, but the world did not know him. The world did not recognize him. They could not see him when he was here. And I'll be honest, this really frustrates some people about God. This really frustrates people about God, that he came as a baby and the world didn't recognize him. Because what a lot of people ask, even back then and even today, is why couldn't God, if he's so powerful and so sovereign, why couldn't he just snap his fingers and get rid of all of the darkness? Why did it have to take so long? Why can't it just be covered with Hallmark movies and mistletoe and peppermint mochas? Like, why the process? If God is who pastors and the church says he is, why did he have to go about it the way he did with all of the pain and all of the dysfunction in the world? Here's why. The reason he chose the method that he did is because God's not interested in just kind of building a whole different world while ignoring this one. He's actually in the process of building a brand new world right in the midst of this one. And because of that, because of his method, he entered in to all of the pain, all of the delay, all of the dysfunction, all of the darkness of this world, and he offers himself as the light in the midst of the darkness. He didn't just snap his fingers to remove the darkness. He came into our darkness so up close, so personal, so near that the text says here the world did not even recognize him. He's that close. Even today, he is closer than your peppermint mocha breath. <laughs> He's that close. But many of us haven't recognized him. I have a two-year-old uh, little boy named Theo, and uh, if you've had a young kid, you, I, I swear every child plays this game at one point or another in their life, but uh, we were playing hide-and-seek the other day. And uh, my little boy's in that kind of time frame, that age frame where uh, he'll uh, go find the most obvious hiding spot that's like right in the middle of everywhere. But what he'll do is he'll close his own eyes and cover them, right? Because if he can't see me, I can't see him. How many of us have had kids that have played? I think probably all of us know kids who have played hide and seek like that. Many of us do the same thing with God. That we walk around like this, like, God, if, if I can't see you, then maybe you can't see my, dar my darkness, and, and I don't want you to see my darkness, and so I'm not going to see you. And this is what John is talking about when he says the light came into the world, and the world did not recognize him because we chose to walk around like this. And yet, God has been showing up in ways in your life that maybe you haven't recognized. All along, walking with you. You know, this past December, this month, I guess, the past couple of weeks, we've had an opportunity as a church to do something called Christmas Blessing, where uh, we were able to purchase gift cards and Christmas gifts for a lot of the families we serve on a regular basis out in the essential store. And uh, one of my dear friends here in the church, Laura, uh, who's sitting right over here, told me a story the other day, and it's just, I love this story, and I wanted to share it with you. She was part of the kind of gift distribution team. And so a woman came in to grab her Christmas gifts for her kids, for her family, and uh, the whole time she was here, she kind of just held her head down low. She had her hoodie up. 
She didn't make eye contact. And Laura noticed that. And she saw that. And so she was helping her kind of get her gifts and, and figure it out. And before this woman left, Laura just kind of felt this prompting in her. We call this the Holy Spirit. Felt this prompting to say, hey, ma'am, is, is there anything that I can pray for you for before you go? And this woman said, can you just pray that I can stay sober? I am 33 days sober today. And Laura said, honey, I don't know if she said honey, maybe. She said, I am 33 years sober this year. And I got to tell you, yeah, that's worth clapping for. And I got to tell you, but for the grace of God at work in my life every single day because God has shown up and has keep showing up and has kept showing up. And that's not a unique story because in your life, God is showing up and he desires to continue showing up and continue showing up. That feeling that you get of just guilt after you've hurt somebody or just kind of that agitation inside of you that things are not as they should be, that is God's light showing up in the darkness the realization that you don't have that much control over this life, that is God nudging you and tapping you and saying, hey, I am light in the darkness. Are you going to see me? Are you going to recognize me? That peace that you experience, and I know a lot of guys around here and women around here experience this unique peace when they're out in the, the woods hunting for deer. Any hunters in here at all? Few of us. That peace that is God showing up in ways that you may not recognize him. See, God's chosen method was for the light to enter into the darkness, to live among the darkness. Why? Because light shines brightest against the darkness. And in a year like 2021, I don't know that we have the luxury to just ignore the darkness. It has been a dark, dark year. Even as I look at headlines for the past few weeks, it has been a dark season in our world and yet the hinge point of John 1, as, as John is talking about this light and the darkness, and he's talking about this, this all-powerful Jesus, he calls him the Word, this cosmic Jesus who was there at the very foundations of the earth, this big, huge Jesus, this is what he says, this is the hinge point. Some call this one of the most important verses in the entire Bible. In verse 14 here, it says this, And that Word became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us. My translation of this, the God who hung the stars, who marked off the seas, who spoke light into, the, into existence, who knows how many days you have on this earth and how many hairs you had on, on your head, that same God put on diapers and moved into the darkness. Amen. Why? Like, why would he do that? One word, love. You see, not a single one of the storytellers of Jesus' life glamorize or gloss over how painful and real Jesus' life was. He was a real man living in a real dark world. He is the God with sweat on his brow, tears in his eyes, dirt under his fingernails. He is the God who has gotten his hands dirty in the dirt. And he is the, darkness, he is the light of this dark world. He plunged into all of the dysfunction, all of the human limitations, and all of the darkness that we created because light shines brightest against the darkness. Maybe you're here uh, today and you're thinking, that is, that is great. 
<laughs> great for you, great for whoever kind of takes hold of that, but I come from a pretty messed up family. I come from a pretty messed up background. I navigate things that I, I don't even feel comfortable talking about with people in a place like this. Maybe you're here and, and you're thinking to yourself, yeah, I've been hurt by so many people just like you standing on a stage, so many pastors, so many self-righteous Christians. I've been hurt so many times, so that's good for you. And if that is you sitting here, I have good news for you. Jesus also came up from a very, very, very messed up family. And he also confronted and had so many issues with self-righteous people who stood on a stage and proclaimed big words without good, real action. Why? Because light shines brightest against the darkness. In fact, in our church this month, we've been looking at how Jesus writes incestuous prostitutes into his family story. We've been looking at how Jesus writes adulterers and racial outsiders into his family story. We've been looking at how Jesus writes nobodies into his family story and murderers in his family sh story to show us that he didn't come just to whitewash and give us a brighter December 25th, but he actually came to redeem every single piece of it. All of it. And he wants to do that for you. Because the light shines brightest against the darkness. And there's one more person that we haven't looked at that's written into Jesus' family story. It's a young girl who lived in a peasant town called Nazareth, a very blue-collar town with maybe 400 people tops living in the town. And her name is Mary. And God chose an impoverished teenager to usher light into the darkness. Matthew 1, 18 through 21 says it this way about Mary. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Jesus, that's a Joseph. Betrothed is a fun word to say. We should call them betrothment rings instead of engagement rings. That's, that's cool. Uh, <laughs> before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Because in this day, Mary being pregnant at this age as a virgin out of wedlock, whatever it looked like, would have meant Mary would have been put to death for this. And so Joseph is trying to avoid that. And so, but as Joseph considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." You see, Joseph's initial reaction to this is he wants to sweep the darkness aside. He wants to kind of avoid it. He wants to get rid of it. And God says, no, 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 no. It is through this broken family situation, it is through this darkness that my light will shine the brightest. So why did God choose an unwed teenager living in a peasant farming community who probably worked 10 plus hours of manual labor a day on a farm? yet was still crushed by an oppressive government through heavy taxation and an oppressive religious system? Why did God choose someone like Mary, a nobody living in this world? Because his light shines brightest against the darkness. 2,000 years ago, an angel shows up to this poor Jewish girl 
and says, guess what, Mary? Jesus is the light that's going to break into your darkness, Mary. What was it that empowered this girl to go through all of the uncertainties of childbirth and raising a child in poverty and all of the discomfort and pain and uncertainties of that world? Because Jesus is the light that breaks into the darkness. Shortly after Jesus is born, Mary and Joseph have to take him and go to a foreign land as refugees on the run from a genocidal maniac named Herod. And they have to build a life there, cut off from their people and their culture and everything they know. Why do they do this? Because Jesus is the light that breaks into the dark world. Fast forward decades later, Mary sees her son unjustly arrested and brutally murdered on a Roman torture device called a cross, a complete picture of injustice. And she sees Roman soldiers jokingly ripping apart his clothes and dividing them and casting lots. And every friend that Jesus had known nearly had abandoned him in this moment. And she sees her own people. So not only was she cut off in Egypt from her people, but now, decades later, she sees her own people hurling insults at her son's dying and broken and humiliated body hanging on a cross. As a mom, how can she endure watching her son die such a humiliating, demeaning, dehumanizing type of death? How can she go to his grave and see him be buried because she understood that Jesus, Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness. And Jesus promise for you and for you, and no matter how dark your world looks, Jesus promises this. We find it in John 12, 46. He says this, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me, whoever trusts in me, may not remain in darkness. So there's a question I want to ask you. Whether you're here in person or you're joining us online, there's a question I want to ask you this afternoon. (laughs) And the question is this. What is stopping Jesus from being the light that breaks into your darkness? What is stopping Jesus from being the light that breaks into your darkness? Some of us might read that question and we might think, well, it's, it's my family story. It's my family situation. It's not your family stopping Jesus from stepping into your darkness. Maybe some of you think, well, it's, it's the world we live in. It's so dark and it's so broken and I can't stand the government and all of these things. It's not the government stopping Jesus from stepping into your darkness. Maybe you think it's your job situation or nobody sees you or appreciates you and you have coworkers and a boss you don't like. It's not them stopping Jesus from, from stepping into your darkness. Who is stopping Jesus from stepping into your darkness? You are. You are the only one because he will not go through a door that he's not invited into. That's how much he loves us. He doesn't force his light on people. He wants to be invited in. And maybe you're here this afternoon and you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm good enough. I'm a good enough person. And maybe you find yourself, you grew up in the church. I hear this a lot. I I grew up Catholic, so I'm, I'm good. If your faith and your identity is in your church, and I don't care if it's this one or another one, you are still living in darkness. 
Jesus came and he flipped the tables of religious systems to show the world that he is the only light that can penetrate the darkness. He's it. Him and him alone. And so I would say to you that he wants to be the light that breaks into your darkness, even if you think you're good enough. And then I imagine there's other people in, in this room who say, well, you, 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 you don't know what I drag into this place. You don't know the baggage I carry on my back. I'm too bad. I'm too far gone. And so you believe you need to clean yourself up to come to Jesus. That you have to quit the drinking or the smoking or whatever it is before you can have a true encounter with Jesus. I'm here to tell you that if a man is drowning in darkness, you don't throw a manual at him to try to figure out how to get himself out of his drowning. And unfortunately, the church has done that a lot with this book. You're living in your darkness. Here's your manual. Figure yourself out. That's not the gospel either. See, the, the name Jesus, and we read it in Matthew 1, the name Jesus literally means salvation, savior, rescuer. That He is the one who steps into the darkness, and he offers drowning people, people who are sinking in their own darkness and their own shame, rescue and a way out before they've ever figured out how to clean themselves up. Woo, I'm getting a little hot here. The uh, notes flipped. <laughs> I want to just, uh, I want to close just by sharing um, a story about, about my grandfather. As I've just kind of reflected on this message over the last month or so. And uh, I've been really close with my grandfather for, for my whole life. And um, he's 88 years old now. And uh, he's had some health scares over the last couple of years. And um, this guy has seen a lot of life. He's seen war. He was in the military. His uh, teenage sister drowned when they were teenagers in Lake Michigan. I mean, he's, he's seen some stuff in his life. He was a GM worker at, uh, in Grand Rapids his whole life, worked on the factory line for GM. And uh, we were sitting at his house the other day. And we began talking. My, my mom was there, too. And we began talking, and my grandpa said something. He said, you know, we've, we've started planning my funeral. And he said, I, I want you to preach at it, Brad. Would you preach at my funeral? And I said, <laughs> no, Grandpa. Like, there's no way I'll be able to get on a stage and preach at your funeral. No way. This is a guy who, every time I see him, he tells me every single day he's praying for me. He was... Uh, he grew up Catholic. He was very, very devout Catholic, and he got saved while smoking a cigarette, watching his rabbit ears TV. Uh, a Billy Graham crusade is how he got saved, how he encountered and met Jesus. And so he said to me, he said to me, will you, will you preach at my funeral? And I said, no, I can't. I won't. Like, that's going to be too hard. And he said something to me that I will never, ever forget. In fact, this next statement that he said to me like, it probably will be one of the top things that I remember him by. He said, Brad, when you preach at my funeral, <laughs> don't make it about you. And don't make it about me. Make it all about Jesus. And as I thought about that statement, because we've all navigated loss, 
and why that impacted me so much, why that hit so deeply for me, I began thinking about just the past year that we've all had, the past two years that we've had. As we have been inundated with the message of death over and over and over. You can't turn on the news without hearing in your face death. Some of you are our frontline healthcare workers, and to you we say thank you. But you are seeing death every single day in your job. For, for others of us, for others of us, we've lost somebody or somebody's this past year, these past couple years. And we're grieving. And, and I share all of that to say, maybe, maybe for you, like these past couple years have meant the death of a dream or the death of a job or the death of what felt like a calling. Like we all have experienced some level of death these last few years. And you cannot live in a culture of death where you're hearing messages about death every single day of your life. You cannot live in that culture and not have it impact you in some deep way that maybe you don't even see yet. And as I think about this concept of death, death is the ultimate darkness that any of us will face. And you can manufacture hope in a lot of different areas of darkness in your life. You can pop the pill. You can crack the bottle. You can light up the joint. You can do whatever you want to manufacture hope in the midst of the darkness. But as I think about the truth of who Jesus is, the one area where you cannot even begin to attempt to manufacture hope is in death. It is the ultimate place where we don't have control, where we actually have to, in order to find hope, look at someone beyond ourselves. So I want to put an invitation out to you this afternoon. Maybe you're here today and you have known nothing but darkness for the last couple of years, for maybe your whole life. That you don't move through this world and this life with hope. Jesus made a promise that I am enough. I am enough to carry you. I am enough to light up your world when all there is is darkness all around. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter if you think you're good enough or you're too far gone or you're too bad. None of that matters. All that matters is that you turn towards me. And you let me be the one that carries you in the darkness. So the invitation that I want to extend to you this afternoon is, if that's you, maybe you've never put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. Maybe you know chaos, you know confusion, you know dysfunction, but you've never experienced the abundant life that Jesus provides. Don't leave today without receiving that. In fact, I believe in that so strongly. I want to just kind of open an invitation for you to do that right now. In fact, Romans says that if you, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved you will be healed, you will be liberated, you will be restored. Light will come into your darkness. And so all it takes is a repentance and a turning towards the person of Jesus. Will you receive that free gift this Christmas? Because it's free. The only strings that are attached are Jesus wants your whole life. All of it. So I'm going to put a prayer up on the screen as we close. And uh, I'm going to pray this prayer. And if this is something you want to receive this afternoon, I want to encourage you 
to pray it silently as I, as I say the words out loud in your heart as something to be received, not something you do or earn, but something to be received as a free gift from God to you this Christmas. So let's pray together. Jesus, I put my trust in you, the true light, that I may no longer remain in darkness. I confess you as Lord and light of my life. I ask you to forgive me and give me life abundantly in you. Now, while eyes are still closed in this room, if you prayed that prayer, like if you received that and you really, really meant it, I want you to do me a favor with nobody else looking around. I just want you to slip up your hand just so I can see and I can pray for you. Like if you prayed that prayer and you received that this afternoon, go ahead and just slip up your hand so we can, we can celebrate and pray for you. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let me pray for us, and then um, we're going to just have a song that's sung over us, which I believe is going to be really powerful. God, we thank you that you are the light that comes into the darkness. God, in a year and a season like this, we can't ignore the darkness. It's all around. It's pervasive. But Jesus, today, we just declare and we exclaim with everything that we are, you are that light. We receive that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and everybody said, amen. So I want to encourage you, as, as uh, Sam, who is my lovely wife here, sings a song over us. This is maybe not a song you know, but uh, this is meant to be sung over us as a congregation. And as she's singing the song, this is just such a beautiful and powerful song, I want to invite you, if you did receive that, if you prayed that prayer, or maybe even if you want to do it now still, we're going to leave it on the screen while she sings. I want to encourage you to do something that might feel a little bit awkward, but hey, awkward is, you know, it is what it is. Embrace awkward, okay? There's a cross up here. And in this cross are light sockets. And we have light bulbs next to it. And if that's something you received, like if you received that hope of Jesus, if you're watching online, we have a, a way for you to respond as well. I want you to do me a favor, and I want you to walk up to this cross and screw in one of the light bulbs there to represent you are someone who has moved from darkness into the light that Jesus offers. If you're watching online, all you have to do is drop your name in the comment section of the Facebook or YouTube video, and we have somebody here that will screw that light bulb in for you. So if that's you, don't leave today without taking a bold step in your faith, and we would love to walk with you in the light. So let's go ahead and respond and worship. never been a moment that 
You were forgotten, you are not hopeless Though you have been broken, your innocence stolen I hear you whisper underneath your breath I hear your SOS, your SOS. Oh, I will send out an army to find you in the middle of the darkest night. It's true. I will rescue you There is no distance That cannot be covered Over and over You're not defenseless oh, I'll be your shelter I'll be your armor I hear you whisper underneath your breath I hear your SOS, your SOS Send out an army to find you in the middle of the darkest night. It's true, I will rescue you. Oh, I will never stop marching to reach you. In the middle of the hardest fight, it's true, I will rescue you. darkest night